Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. For they know not what they do. You see, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, the first sayings of Scripture, of Jesus speaking as he is slowly dying, is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't. They don't, Jesus. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the hands that they are piercing are causing you pain. They don't know that they are driving nails through your feet. They don't know that they are intentionally causing you pain and agony. They don't know that what they're doing is causing you excruciating pain. They don't know that they're hurting you. Are you kidding me? They don't, you mean to tell me you don't think that they know? Clearly they know because for me, I can't even overlook someone stepping on my foot accidentally, let alone someone causing me pain intentionally. Who, who are you talking to, Jesus? Who are we speaking to when we say they don't know what they're doing? Is it the people that mocked you? Is it the disciples that denied you? Or is it the soldiers that tortured you? Is it those that offended you? Is it Pilate that judged you? Is it those like us that are forgiving, forgetting you even regularly in our daily lives? You see, even up until the last moments of Jesus Christ, he is teaching us how to forgive. See, even up to these last moments, Jesus, he could have made any prayer. And I don't know if you're like me, but Jesus could have prayed any prayer. I mean, there's some powerful prayers that Jesus could have prayed. Maybe he would have prayed like me. He would have said, Father, annihilate these peasants. Sever their heads and that they may roll like soccer balls at my feet. Or maybe, maybe he would have prayed some, some deep, powerful prayer and he would have said, Father, tear them limb from limb that the crows and the ravens will feast on their flesh until their flesh is no more. See, he would have prayed some powerful prayers, but no, Jesus chooses to demonstrate the most courageous love ever experienced in human history. What kind, of, what kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that at the height of his physical suffering, his love prevails and he asks his father to forgive? Could there be any greater irony that Jesus asks the father to forgive, but it is his very sacrifice on the cross that mankind is able to be forgiven? What kind of love is this? I'll tell you what kind of love. It's the love that never gives up on people. 
It's the love that never fails. It's the love that never stops trusting. It's the love that never stops losing hope. It's the love that never quits. You see, Jesus is breaking the cycle. Jesus is breaking the cycle. Jesus is saying that there is a love greater than anything we could ever experience. What kind of love is this? He's making a declaration of his courageous love because it takes courage to love. It takes courage to forgive. See, because forgiveness is not an attribute of the weak. No, my friends, forgiveness is an attribute of the strong. See, he's breaking the cycle because he's saying to us, his declaration of courage is love proclaims that you may hurt me, but you will not hold me captive. Because unforgiveness in it by itself is bondage and it holds you captive. See, Jesus is breaking the cycle because his declaration is saying, hey, listen, you may hurt me, but that won't stop me from helping you. That just because you lied about me, it doesn't mean that I can't tell you the truth. Just because you've cursed me doesn't mean that I can't bless you. Just because you come with bad news doesn't mean that I can't give you the good news. Just because you hate me doesn't mean that I can't love you. Jesus breaks the cycle. But maybe they didn't know. Maybe they didn't know that the hands that they pierced were the hands that held the world together. Maybe they didn't know that the feet in which they drove nails through with a hammer were the feet that would have to cross the bridge from heaven to earth in order that we might experience salvation. Maybe they didn't know that the face in which they spat on was the very face that was spoken about in scripture when it says that Moses spoke to God face to face. Maybe they didn't know that the face that they spit on was the same face that Job yearned to see when he said, I yearn to see you God face to face. See, maybe they didn't know, and maybe we don't know. Who was he speaking about when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Because maybe, just maybe, he was speaking about you and me. See, because as great of an experience as it is to experience forgiveness, humanity must also learn to be participators in the experience of forgiving others. You see, Jesus, he said, greater things shall you do. He said, greater things shall you do, but when you review all that Jesus has done, you would begin to identify that the greatest thing that Jesus Christ ever did was manifested on the cross of Calvary when he forgave humanity for its sins and transgressions. See, I wonder if the greatest thing that you can do maybe not be setting the blind to see or setting the bound captive or making the sick healed. Maybe the greatest thing we could ever do as Jesus followers is to demonstrate forgiveness to those that have hurt us 
the most. See, because in order for you to experience paradise, you must first learn how to experience forgiveness. Forgiveness, something that the thief on the cross next to Jesus is well acquainted with. Sins that were considered the worst from the law. And here he is next to Jesus, knowing that he didn't deserve his death. Imagine this thief and murderer soaking in his guilt and shame and, and experience this brutal torture. Ask Jesus in the last moments of their life, will you remember me in your kingdom? In a moment, without earning it, without deserving it, and without being taken off of the cross. Jesus takes on his guilt and shame and wipes him clean by saying these few words. Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, a word I believe Jesus used to describe the complete opposite of what they were experiencing in their present suffering. He could have used a more common word like heaven or kingdom but instead used paradise to relieve their present tense. No more pain, no more hurt, no more condemnation, but rather bliss, freedom, and streets of gold, where love is the currency. But Jesus, in the middle of two thieves, which was symbolic of the absorption of the worst of humanity's sins and trespasses, into a beautiful exchange for forgiveness and freedom. The crowd was filled with followers, unbelievers, family, and the government of that time to watch the cruelest death of their time. To their own blindness, had no clue to what was about to happen that would change history forever. And knowing the crowd was watching, one person stood out above them all, and it was Jesus' mother. And even though Jesus sees the paradise of his future, he's experiencing the nightmare of his present when his mother's pain is connected to his. Relationship is the word that comes to mind when the Son of God is on the cross. You see, in the scene before, he displayed what a tumultuous relationship he had for generations before and to come. The believer and unbeliever alike, but Jesus took the time to once more reassure the one who doubted before. In relationship, we have his mother, the, one, the woman who bore him, who held him close, who stood, him, who stood with him at every step. The one who, who saw him as a toddler lifted him up, delighted in his laughter, and would also be there to wipe his tears when he fell. His mother. She saw Jesus, an infant, a toddler, a boy, a young man, now laying down his life for their, for their generation and those to come. He came to undo what, the, what had taken place through the first Adam. The second Adam came to restore. Savior, she, had, she must have thought twice as she looked on in despair watching her son. Thinking, wondering, she thought, my God, but you spoke, you said, 
maybe she, maybe I could take his place, or she was reminded of what the angel said to her that faithful night. Mary, you have found favor with God. You shall have, you shall have a son. His name will be Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and the kingdom, there will be no end. Could this be the moment she had thought to herself, staring at her son? Remember the moments before while speaking to the two thieves, he had shown his divinity, the forgiver of sins. Here he was portraying just how human he was. Gone, Here, he was portraying just how fully human he was as he speaks to his mother and tells her, Behold, woman, here is your son. Jesus was establishing her caregiver after he was gone in the flesh, although we knew he would always be with her. So he entrusted her well-being to the disciple whom he loved. He says, Behold, son, here is your mother. What we forget in his suffering was that he was hanging on the cross for us, but he was also hanging there for her. Yet in his ultimate sacrifice, he remembered his mother, and as he needed to do one more thing, Jesus remembered her and he remembered us. His mother being so close, he cried out to his father to remember his son. <clears throat> to remember his son. His son, Jesus, the, the word made flesh. I, I think this thought is interesting because this was a time when his father felt the furthest. You know, it, it, it's, it's easy to see how in Matthew he would utter, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? You see, traditionally, we believe this was Jesus' darkest moments, and it was. You know, the term excruciating, it comes from crucifixion. That's how bad it, it was. So traditionally, we think, that his sorrow was the reason that he uttered this, but I don't think it was. You see, Jesus was quoting Psalms 22, verse 1, and this is how Psalms 22 opens. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish? But this is how it ends. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. See. To those listening, they knew that if you quoted Psalms 22, 1, you were quoting Psalms 22. That if you quoted the first verse, you meant the whole thing is, it's kind of like if I said, uh, I'm sorry for this, guys. And I will always love you. You know what's next. So, yes, they heard, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, they heard. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yes, they heard all those who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads, and they heard I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is, has turned to wax. But I think Jesus was getting at something greater. See, he was mocked. He was poured out. What had been written was coming to pass. See, because then they heard from you, comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. I wanna let you guys know that it doesn't matter how you start, wait until you see how God finishes it. Cause then they hear, 
Because then they hear all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. They heard for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. They heard all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They heard that they will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. See, Jesus Jesus was the word made flesh and the word was with God from the beginning so he had to have known that God would see him through to the end even though his flesh may have felt forsaken I believe the word remembered that this was fulfillment see I don't think he was saying I can't see you God I think he was saying look up and see me Psalms 22 Psalms 22 that's me I have done it the word remembered this. See, I don't think Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani because of anguish. I think he said, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani because of achievement. That his word knew all of this. Despite his flesh having been beaten. Even when his body had been broken. Even when he was hungry. And even when he was thirsty. I thirst. Jesus says this while on the cross and the scripture starts by saying, after this, Jesus, knowing all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Yes. But it starts with, after this. You ever have that you're after this moment? Here's Jesus, knowing the hour had come. He had spent the night praying with his disciples at Mount Olives. Jesus, knowing all things that would come upon him. The kiss of betrayal, being confronted by troops and, and Pharisees armed with torches and weapons, beaten down, being scourged, whipped, tormented, spit on, having a crown of thorns twisted on his head, sentenced to be crucified. You ever have an after this moment where you know you didn't just go through this for no reason, where you know that all the while you're dealing with the pricking and sometimes the beating of your breakthrough but it's all worth it because you know what's coming at the end. You know God has something great for you and you wouldn't have it any other way. You'd go through it all over again. It reminds me of Jesus when he's in the garden and Peter cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers and Jesus says to Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? You ever have an after this moment? For me, for me it was dealing with unforgiveness. For you it may be something else. For you it may be anger, regret, resentment. Or even depression. And oh, the pain of going through that process. 
And here I am trying to deal with this unforgiveness and it feels as if I'm running. It feels as if I'm running for the finish line of a four mile race. Those nights where I cried, I cried out for my father, daddy. Feeling broken and beaten down. And here I am running closer towards the finish line, dealing with the pricking of unforgiveness. And oh, how it pierced me like a crown of thorns. And I finally make it to the finish line. And I cross through the finish line and I finally want to get some rest. And I thirst. See, I'm not thirsty for something. I'm thirsty from something. I'm thirsty because I just completed the mission and the purpose that God had in my life for that season. And when we look at Jesus at the cross, it's a picture that he lived a life full of purpose and even to the point of death. And it's at that moment where he's crossing the finish line of our faith that he is saying, I thirst. See, Jesus, he wasn't thirsty for something. He was thirsty from something. What if God's people, what if instead of living a life thirsty for attention, what if God's people live that kind of life that we are thirsty because we were accomplishing God's purpose in our life? What if instead of living a life thirsty for love, we lived that kind of life where we're thirsty because we are fulfilling all that God has for us? What if instead of living a life thirsty for affection, we live that kind of life that we were thirsty because instead of quitting, we finish the race. What if thirst was rest for him? because he was fulfilling all that he was called to accomplish. He was crossing the finish line. He was thirsty because all things were now accomplished. And when he had tasted it, he said, Tetelestai. It is finished. It is accomplished. You might be asking yourself, what is it is that he is saying that is finished? Jesus finished the work given to him by his father. He did this so that people could understand that he and the father are one. He came as the light of the world, given falling mankind the opportunity to move from utter darkness into his marvelous light. He came to save us. He came as fully God and fully man 
to be the incarnation of the truth of God. Jesus came to make propitiation for our record of sin against God. Jesus came to make reconciliation between God and man possible. He came to die and purify his bride, the church. He came to glorify his father through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus came to make a way, the only way, for people to find mercy, grace, and help in time of need. You see, tetelestai, I'm an English major. Tetelestai in the perfect present indicative means what was done still remains even till this day and for the rest of our lives and in the future. Tetelestai is a word that we actually use often. An artist might say, he might say it when he finished a painting and he announced, it is completed. The picture is perfect. A merchant might say it after stamping the bill, the debt has been paid in full. A runner might say it when he had ran a race and crossed the finish line saying, I accomplished what I set out to do. A soldier might say it as a battle cry toward a vanquished foe. The soldier would yell, you are finished. Jesus is all these characters described and more. The word tetelestai means more than just, I survived. Come on. It means the debt that he paid for us in full was completed in the past, Ooh. is completed for us in the present, and will forever remain completed in the future. It is finished. It is finished. What Jesus did through the perfect earthly existence, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection was fully completed at the cross. It is finished. At the cross, God kept his promise to crush Satan's head through the bruising of his son. It is finished. At the cross, the gavel of the supreme judge of the universe crashed upon his mighty bench. When God the Father, pleased to crush his son, poured the full cup of his wrath against his son upon him so innocent it is finished at the cross the beautiful exchange took place and the earthly eternal debt owed for the son or the sin of mankind was painted full it is finished the power of sin and death was vanquished once and for all time it is finished there is nothing more to add Nothing more to be done. The undeniable, factual, historic, and eternal work of Jesus Christ has been completed, is complete, and will forever remain completed. Amen. It is finished. Yes. The sin I owe to God was and is paid in full by my Lord and Savior, my Master and King, Jesus Christ, when he shed his innocent blood on the cross as the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice on my behalf. It is finished. Tetelestai then is the final cry of victory from our Savior. When he died, he left no unfinished business behind. Always remember these three beautiful words that will forever change your life. It is finished.
it is finished. And what the scriptures tell us is that Jesus, with a loud voice, I said a loud voice. See, it wasn't this subtle, cute, quiet whisper. It wasn't this small voice. No, but it was a loud voice. He shouted, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. See, what would it expect from a man that is dying? But Jesus, he's determined. He is determined that in his final words, the world will hear. You see, because even in his last breath, he is giving all that he can muster up so that as he inhales death, he can exhale life to humanity. You see, he says, Daddy, I'm coming home to you. He says, Daddy, I'm coming home. The father whom he said was he was with from the beginning, the father whom he sent the father whom he had from the beginning. He says, Father. He says, Abba. The father whom he called Abba. And oh, how many names and descriptions do we have for God? This is God we're talking about, isn't it? This is the, the, the God of the universe. This is the creator of humanity. This is God we're talking about. The God that said, let there be light, and there was. The God that put the world into motion. The God that created the animals and all the inhabitants. Oh, this is God that we're talking about. Some may know him as Elohim. He is our creator. Some may know him as as, as El Shaddai, he is God Almighty. Some may know him as Adonai, he is our master. Some may even know him as Yahweh, Lord Jehovah. Some may know him as Jehovah, Je uh, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is here. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Jireh, he's my provider. Jehovah Rapha, he is healer. But no, Jesus wants to call him a name that will encapsulate all the names that have been revealed through the Old Testament and the New. He says, I'm going to grab a name that will encapsulate every single one. And I say, Abba, Daddy. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about because when your children need a provider, all they need to say is Daddy or Mommy. See, when your children need a protector, they don't need to call their protector. All they need to say is daddy or mommy. See, when your children need a comforter, all they need to say is daddy or mommy. See, daddy is the name that encapsulates every name revealed. Abba, Father. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. See, it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4 when he says, But when the right time came, God sent his son who was born from a woman and lived under the law. God did this so that he could buy the freedom of those who were under the law. God's purpose was Hear me, 
God's purpose was to make us his children so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Since you are now God's children, he has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts so that you may call him daddy. Daddy, I'm coming home. See, because our soul needs a home. And what Jesus made happen on that cross was create a way that all of his children can come back home. Daddy, I'm coming home. Daddy, I've been gone for some time, but I'm coming home. Daddy, I thought I was lost, but I'm coming home. Daddy, I've been doing so much, but I'm coming home. See, it's not only the prodigals that need to come home. It's those that live there and don't know their identity. See, I wonder how many people here are willing to say in this Good Friday, Papa, I'm coming home. Can we bow our heads for a moment and rise to our feet? We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.